mayoral candidate Chloe Brown in the building. Hello. Everyone's paying back favors. Unfortunately, six of them are running at the same time. I don't blame them mm-hmm. because I'd be scared too. People are like, oh, isn't Tina Finch, Shannon Finch, they're bad. And I'm like, just say you can't survive out here. Whoa, I started moved to Woodbridge with the Italians. Yeah. <laughs> a good chunk of my life is spent in parking lots hacking darts. Okay, <laughs> the bogeys. <laughs> All right, welcome back to another episode of The Burrow Sound. It's your host with the most DJs are recording live here at UUIN Collective. And today we have a very special guest, mayoral candidate Chloe Brown in the building. Hello, hello. Hello. First of all, thank you for uh, making time uh, in your day to come through. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, I was telling Was, I was telling these guys like... Out of every mayoral candidate I've ever seen, you're the most relatable, I think, to the majority of people. You know, I feel like a lot of uh, our generation, we feel disconnected or disengaged from politicians because they don't seem relatable. Um, Was that kind of in your mentality when you were initially ran for mayor, did you feel like you want to represent the working class, the majority of people? Yeah. A lot of people think it was some type of magical moment that I had when I was running for mayor. And it's like, no, I was in my house drinking coffee, listening to Gil Penalosa and John Tory talk about running for mayor. And I was just like, nope, Mm. nope, not going to do this again. Mm. I had I had this sense of dread that I couldn't allow seniors to continue telling me how to live my life. Mm -hmm. So it's like that dissatisfaction is really universal in the city Mm -hmm. and it's universal if you're working class yeah. because the executives are running off with money. They're mm-hmm. getting their Airbnbs, their condos, all that stuff. But like, what do we have? Yeah. It's hard to say that I have anything to show for my good job, my good credit, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the last mayoral election, you came third, which is pretty impressive, especially <laughs> for an independent runner. And I was going to ask when you kind of I guess you're already into uh, policy, working within policy. But when you ran in politics, why didn't you choose to do it through a political party as opposed to doing it independently? I don't like political parties. <laughs> OK, why is that? I grew up in the church. Okay, okay, okay. Praise God. <laughs> yeah, I praise him. But um, I find that when people worship institutions instead of figuring out how to do good work mm-hmm. on behalf of the institution, they get very cultish. Hmm. And that becomes problematic for me because you, like, if you're someone who pays attention to public affairs, it's really easy for people that like create cults to mm-hmm. turn an entire population against themselves. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is, that's deeply problematic. And you see how it's playing out in American politics. I don't want that to come here. Mm-hmm. So it was really important for me to run as an independent to make people realize like there is an alternative. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be supported by a party. You have to get the support of your people. Mm-hmm. How did you end up campaigning to get 34,000 votes last time. Like, Mm -hmm. cause you started from the ground up, right? I'm guessing in terms of running the campaign, which costs money, like, did you have to get donations? Like, how did you get that outreach? So I set my personal budget for what I was willing to spend to $2,000. Of your own money? Yes. Okay. So with that being said, it's like, I've worked on different campaigns before. I was 
I'm aware of how print collateral works as opposed to digital. Mm -hmm. And this is where, yeah, as a policy analyst, I know all the topics by their demographic. Like I know what's affecting Gen Z as opposed to baby boomers, um, Gen X as opposed to millennials. Mm -hmm. And with that, I was able to craft all my policies in a language that everyone was seen in. Mm -hmm. So it made it really easy for me to just do my day job, which is writing reports, policy Mm -hmm. blogs, and getting those up, connect them to the right hashtags and that streams them right to your phone. Mm. So my understanding of data really allowed me to connect to a larger audience as opposed to just traditional door knocking where I'm printing 10,000 physical cards and then I'm gambling with whether or not you accept my message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my approach was really more of attacking bad ideas as opposed to just looking at the identity, like being right wing or left wing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand their lives that way because Mm -hmm. you're making decisions as they come to you. Mm -hmm. So that's why I really focused on the working class because whether you're making 150,000 or 50,000, you can't get a home. You can't afford your groceries. Mm -hmm. You're probably taking TTC, which is like become a crisis (laughs) on wheels. Mm -hmm. And, Focusing on those basic experiences separated me from John Tory, who's privileged all his life. Like Mm. he doesn't take TTC. He probably doesn't even buy his own groceries, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, (laughs) it really made it easy just to say like, John, you're messing up. Like, Mm. and it's with my money and Mm. everyone felt that. So those votes weren't really hard to get. It's just knowing your audience. Mm -hmm. And I, I do feel like, you've kind of cultivated that social media culture where other candidates can't really tap in because when they do, it doesn't seem genuine. Like it does seem like they're like pandering to like the younger audience. Whereas with you, it does feel natural. Like you feel kind of like one of us. Well, that's, (laughs) that's where my lack of political experience comes in, comes in handy because Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't have to recite policy that's written for me i already wrote it Mm -hmm. it becomes a lot more authentic for me to speak to because it's like these are ideas that have been swirling in my head that i've had to edit myself and put out there Mm -hmm. and i'm grateful for my team because it's like i speak to them and then they interpret it for wider audiences Mm -hmm. so it really becomes a matter of just centering people in your message and then letting others interpret it for you because mm. my message resonates for different points for different people. Mm. And this is why it's been really important for me to just look at social media because I'm, I'm born in the nineties. Mm. I grew up with forum boards that created communities in themselves. And like, if you're a Toronto local, you mm. might remember T.Wire. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of communities that are built up in Toronto digitally that meet up in real life and do big things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's really what, what my strategy is. It's just connect with who you know. They tell somebody, they come out, they pull up, and that's what happened at the polls. And that's why people are like, I can't believe you got 38,000. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I come from a village of nobodies that you don't pay respect to. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're pulling up for me. Mm-hmm. What Speaking on the polls, and maybe this is something I noticed other people have noticed it too but i find that the legacy media is really pushing for olivia chow do you find that too or is that yeah, like no, am it's, I just see- it's a real thing why why do you think that is because i do think legacy media is still kind of important but i think they should be neutral mm-hmm. in these kind of moments why, why do you think they're pushing so hard for olivia chow 
So I don't know if you've ever belonged to a union, but the way that they prioritize seniority over meritocracy spills out in legacy media, Hmm. where it's like these six candidates have seniority, where they've been involved in the same institutions and circles as the legacy media. Hmm. So of course they're going to pay back the favors that they've given them, which Hmm. is like that early exposure for some journalists, some media people as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really just everyone's paying back favors. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, six of them are running at the same time. And that's Mm -hmm. like edged me out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I know that I'm purposely being left out because the established power wants to secure its power. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. openly talking about getting rid of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I don't blame them mm-hmm. because I'd be scared too. But at the same time, it's like, look what happened to the taxi industry with Uber. Mm-hmm. They had the power and they kept playing and four guys with an app destroyed the taxi industry. It's true. And that's, this is what's happening now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if traditional media will be the same after this campaign. Never. I don't think so. I already feel like it's lost its effectiveness. And even when they try to transition to more like modern forms of media, they just have so much funding that yeah. a lot of it goes to waste. Even like with radio, I was speaking to a gentleman who works in radio and he's like, man, like it's, it's like a waste of money almost at this point because not enough people are tuning. Everyone's tuning in on social media. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like the gatekeepers are blocking like eminent evolution. Mm-hmm. And this is why, <laughs> this is why I'm doing successful on my own terms. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are upset that I'm not in like polling in traditional polls, but it's like, if you look at my social media numbers, mm-hmm. they're like, we've had a million views now. Mm-hmm. In one week. Mm. And I get emails from around the world. People are watching this race because Toronto is a trendsetter. Yeah. Depending on how this race goes, the future of this city in leading not only the country, but like other Western countries will have its impact Mm -hmm. because it's like, if I could do this on a small budget, you could do it too. Mm -hmm. And that threatens a whole establishment. (laughs) Yeah. It almost threatens like, I know we don't have a two party political system, but Mm -hmm. like three, I guess, but like it does threaten that entire legacy because if someone independent can win, then why do we need them kind of? Yes. And that's really where I'm trying to evolve democracy more than anything else, because Mm. representation for the people, by the people, what does that mean in a time like this where we have the privileged few acting as monarchs on Mm. us? Yeah. And it's really, it's really about us pushing for a peaceful transition at this point, Mm -hmm. because we see what's going on in the States. Like I hate to bring them up, but it's like, I don't want what happened at the White House to ever happen at Parliament Hill. We yeah, had the convoy wild. and like that, yeah. that was enough for me. I was just yeah. like, I do not have the cholesterol for this type of yeah. <laughs> this action. And mm-hmm. as a public servant, it's like if I was at the federal building, mm-hmm. I don't know what I would do, you mm-hmm. know? So it's like we need to fix things down here in the city before we even approach Doug Ford at the province, Justin mm. Trudeau at the national level, because mm. it's a numbers game. Mm. If you can't get your numbers up on the ground, you think you're going to intimidate me at a higher level. And that's why I'm constantly pushing democracy because my issues are no different from yours. We mm. want housing, food, clean water, etc. When it becomes an issue of like, you can't have that because of who you love and where Mm. your family's from, like Mm. we get nothing. Mm. And that's what's happening in the city. I'm tired of getting nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you said you drink coffee, yes. right? So you're more coffee than tea, would you say? No. Or are you more tea or like a little bit of both? I like both. I, <laughs> I actually have to stop drinking coffee because it's like during the pandemic, I realized I don't drink coffee because I like it. It's a part of our North American ritual. Mm-hmm. You get on the train, you drink your coffee, you grumble about the commute, you, <laughs> you link up with your coworkers and mm-hmm. you just drink coffee throughout the day. Yeah like willfully dehydrating yourself <laughs> it's caffeine addiction a little bit i'm, I'm kind of into it too i can't like, lie yeah. Like, yeah and that's the thing it's like it's my vice that it's like i know this is bad for me but i can't i can't mm-hmm. stop <laughs> <laughs> well i know um you know when you're married probably gonna have a desk you know what i'm saying you might need a cup on there so i got you a little mug oh with my face on it you know what i'm saying it's like sound. you know you can put pencils in there cups you know what i'm saying coffee tea oh my uh, god you know put it on the desk when you're mayor and uh you can buy those on zarswell.com slash shop you know uh but yeah that's for you i'll give it to my mistress at the end of my term okay yes <laughs> It's, yeah, those are expensive, really expensive. Uh, Get yours today. <laughs> um, so before we dive into like your policies and stuff, tell me just about your story, just from the ground level, where you grew up, how you got into working in policy. So I'm born in the Islington and Finch area. Okay. Like my parents are separated. So I was between Islington and Finch and Jane and Wilson. Okay. And I grew up just, I love where I grew up. Honestly, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, Islington and Finch, Jane and Finch, they're bad. And I'm like, just say you can't survive out here. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was lit. It was lit. If yeah. You were from there. yeah. And that's where like. Honestly, I got so much community. Like I remember growing up and my parents are Jamaican. Mm. First act of solidarity that I had is bringing curry to school for lunch. And my East Indian friend who's Sikh also Mm. had curry. Mm. And it's like, it's those little things that made me realize like we're all equal. Mm. We're all deserving. Like you shouldn't be treated a certain way. And that all changed when my mom moved us to Woodbridge. <laughs> and oh, I started you moved to Woodbridge with the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. She was hanging out at sus parking lots and Timmy's like <laughs> a good chunk of my life is spent in parking lots, hacking darts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the bogies. <laughs> but um, it was when I was in York region, I realized like how different it was to be in Toronto mm. because the programs are different. Like you're after school, you have uniforms for your sports teams. You don't mm-hmm. have to fundraise. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was wild to me because it's just like, everything's provided. Mm. And when I graduated, I ended up coming back to Rexdale to go to Humber college North. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be a physiotherapist. And when I was there, I was doing fitness and health promotion with a, with like the goal of getting into a kin program at York. But it like shocked me that everything was the same. Like Albion Mall, still the same. Woodbine Fantasy Fair, still the same. Mm. Like it's nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, you don't, if you don't have a car, like you have to drive to Albion, which is like 30 minute walk, like Mm. 10 minute drive to get groceries Mm. or you're eating from the campus Mm. or you're eating McDonald's Mm. or pizza. And that's the thing. It's like, 
I started to realize like how unequal the city was because it's like for me to get entertainment, I have to come downtown mm-hmm. bus stops running at a certain time. Yeah. Train stops running like cabbies don't take you north of Laura after a certain hour. So yeah. it's like you get stranded and you get isolated as an adult in a college. And that's supposed to be the best time of your life. Mm. But you end up like alone closest stories your lcbo the pub like you're eating drinking and it's just like all this can be prevented if the government was actually building full communities mm-hmm. and it just hit me when like 2012 my friend he's just like yo we need to go to this protest man like things are crazy and i'm like okay Nadim, like we'll go and it was occupy toronto okay yeah, yeah. yeah. Occupy so versus the 1%. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. Like, I'm not the 99. Like, I'm good. And Mm. he's just like, okay, we're going to march. And then we need to stay in a tent. And I'm like, what? Like, leisure homelessness? Leisure homelessness. Yeah. And he's like, no, like, we're going to stay in this tent to, like, show our solidarity. And I did. And I'm sleeping in St. I'm trying to sleep in St. James Park, but Mm -hmm. I'm hearing the sirens. I'm hearing arguments. I'm hearing like all this stuff and it's keeping me up. Mm -hmm. So I catch maybe like 30 minutes. Sun's coming up. It's cold because it's in October. And I'm like, I emerge from the tent. I'm like, yo, people live like this every day. Mm -hmm. Like homelessness is a real long term issue because Mm -hmm. I remember growing up and seeing guys that were homeless in my 20s, still Mm -hmm. homeless in my 30s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like they don't come off the street and this is their life every day. So Mm -hmm. it started to hit me like this is unacceptable. Like Canada has winter. People die out here Mm -hmm. and the government's not doing anything. Like you're collecting tax dollars from me and getting on TV and you're not doing anything. And this Mm -hmm. was 2012. So in 2022, Mm -hmm. you could imagine how like I'm frustrated (laughs) at this point yeah, because how long does it take to build a house? HGTV mm-hmm. flips houses weekly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do I have to call Ty and the home renovation group? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, it makes me sick as an adult to say I'm a good person and walk over homeless people. Mm-hmm. It really like hits you that if you want to have kids survive in this city and they don't have social programs, police are going to follow them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I don't do something now, I'll never find joy in this city, no matter how much money I make, no matter how much goodness I'm involved in, because there's open poverty. There's like no solutions, quote unquote. And the police budget just keeps going up. Mm-hmm. What happens to me if I become disabled, don't have money? Like the police are going to come for me too, eventually. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you got to fix things before they get worse mm-hmm. if you want to live a better life. And mm-hmm. that's really what motivates me to run because it's like growing up in Rexdale, I wasn't from a bad neighborhood. My neighborhood was deemed bad because politicians decided to defund them. Mm. And that's where like arguments like defund the police are, they're humorous to me because Mm. it's like you have no problems defunding healthcare, education, you have no problems defunding the environment, but like an occupation is where you, you put all your, all your like eggs. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, it's so disrespectful to us who grew up in Galloway, Rexdale, Jane and Finch, where it's like, despite all the odds against us, we remain good people. Mm-hmm. And you still want to play around with my money. Mm-hmm. You know, like I try to explain it like this, but I, I value being like 
spiritually rich. Mm-hmm. I might be materially poor, but like mm-hmm. you could never say like Chloe would never help me. Mm-hmm. Chloe would never try and do something for me. And I don't think politicians can say that. Mm-hmm. And it disturbs me that they keep running for political office and they clearly don't like people. Yeah. <laughs> they lack that like moral aspect, completely disregard it for more of like an economic focus or like political. But yeah. that moral aspect that you're talking about is kind of the reason why like humans are humans in a sense. So it makes us human, right? Yeah. And that's, to me, it's so it's terrifying because as you look at young people in this city, the less opportunity you give them, the more intense violence happens. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm 32 and it's like, you think I want to be fighting 16 year olds on TikTok? No, <laughs> like, but they're, they're starting to become nihilistic because yeah. there's no opportunity. Like, yeah. what are they going to do? And you're the adult withholding opportunity from them. Hmm. So it's like, you're literally criminalizing people through neglect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is what this government is in the business of, because as they privatize our services, our wages are still at six, what, $17 an hour. Mm-hmm. People can't even afford groceries. What do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. They're just going to fill the jails with like people committing petty crimes to survive. Mm-hmm. So that's why supporting the working class is always important because it's like, if it wasn't for like volleyball programs, if it wasn't for like the fact that my dad could buy me a bike and me and my friends could roll on our own, I could have been in trouble. Mm-hmm. I could have been in so much trouble because like, as you can tell, I'm short and I use my mouth as a weapon. So like I could have been in a lot of trouble if mm-hmm. it wasn't for people being like, put Chloe in something, take her off the street mm-hmm. and give her something to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that opportunity slip away. Like no matter how much money you're making in this city, it's like no one is safe. No one can go anywhere because it's like, even if I can afford it, my friend can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the point of me even making money if my friend isn't in distress? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really what motivates me to do any of this because it's like, I'm 32. I want to have a family, a home. Can't mm-hmm. do that if all the mans are sick, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, speaking on what you were saying about filling the jail with petty crimes, mm-hmm. uh, one part of your campaign is decriminalizing drugs, right? Yes. So my question ag- around that, because I know places like Portugal have done this, <laughs> but do you feel like once the government decriminalizes drugs, there's also a governmental responsibility to make sure that clean drugs are administered because i feel like if you just decriminalize it but all the stuff that the hard stuff that people are doing are like laced with fentanyl Mm -hmm. or something which oftentimes they are like on a street level then like people could just be dropping and it's kind of like on the government right Mm -hmm. so do you feel like if you decriminalize drugs you kind of also have to take that responsibility in making sure they're administered safely and, and cleanly So this is where drug testing becomes a very important part of this, as opposed to just like providing cleaner substances, Mm. because I really believe that there's this opportunity for people to take a more proactive approach to how they medicate themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is what is really missing from this addiction, trauma, mental health conversation. It's Mm -hmm. like people are self-medicating because they, they have no other options. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's like, yeah, give people the testing mechanisms to know what bad drugs look like. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would like to get testing kits in the clubs, the restaurants, the construction sites, Mm -hmm. because it's not just homeless people dying of addictions. It's people that are housed. Now it's like working class people, like ripping lines at the construction site and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's (laughs) one thing that like, 
I don't think people realize in the affordable housing conversation, the workers are dying. Mm. How are they going to build all this housing if they're like broken because of the type of work they have to do? Mm -hmm. And that's why we're having this construction uh, fireside chat today, because Mm -hmm. when I think about construction workers, it's predominantly men in physically intensive labor. They don't have benefits, so they have to go looking for opioids. Mm. That creates a whole cycle of like addiction, abuse, a variety of things. And Mm. it's like we depend on them to build the entire city. How can you depend on a broken group of people to carry out some of the most intensive targets Mm. that have been set in our history? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, if we want to focus on harm reduction, mental health, start the construction sites, Mm -hmm. give them technology to not have to do such labor intensive work Mm -hmm. because that's really what's breaking down their bodies. The repetitiveness, like the lack of technology in their sector. Mm -hmm. Like you see places like China, Dubai, Netherlands, they're just like, let the robots do it. Give it nine weeks Mm -hmm. and it's done. Yeah. And their quality of life is so much better. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. we look at our roads, they're constantly under construction. There's like five dudes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> there's five guys watching one healthy man do the work and that's yeah. because mm. like the way that we invest in workers is very poor the executive is constantly getting bonuses mm-hmm. what do workers get we don't have accessible benefits are like depending on the type of job you have you might get paid in cash, but you have no benefit system. You have like no access to physiotherapists that could help you. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a union, your union dues are not really building anything. Mm-hmm. They're going into pension funds, investment yeah. portfolios. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's been bothering me is like the Canadian pension fund is building the condos that's displacing workers. Mm-hmm. And this is where like our us as workers are doing the most to fill the pockets of management consultants, executives. Like we need better representation and we need like more of us to feel like we can hold them accountable Mm -hmm. because like we're dying to build what like smart track, which never got built housing, like affordable housing. And it's none of it's affordable. Like, (laughs) you know, and it's one of those things that, I just wish more of our age group would be vexed about Mm -hmm. because it's like, I see you online flaming celebrities that don't live here, but your counselor's walking away scot-free. Yeah. 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 I feel like we just feel like we're more focused on like our cell phone bill or like our car insurance payment, like all that other stuff, even like infrastructural conversations where like all that. Yeah. And that's where a lot of us have that disconnect with that lack of civic education. Yeah. Because it's like, so every four years, you elect somebody and you never check on them like we don't we, we literally just tune in and we'll see like if there's something that they say we'll we'll look at but we're not looking or assessing their daily movements or like the things they're passing and stuff like we don't really but look people at it. check on their favorite rapper they yeah. check on their favorite athlete and yeah, it's, it's like true. They, they don't have as much control over your money as mm. your government does and it's this true this is where I like, I get a little hood where it's like, you think you're going to rob me and wear my stuff and walk through my neighborhood and just continue about yeah. your day. That's a good mentality. That, that is how we should look at it though. Cause it is our money, our tax dollars. Right? Yeah. Get a little, get a little gangster with it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they wouldn't know how to handle it. I feel like they're kind of happy that most of us are ignorant about those things. Right. Yeah. And that's why they're leaving me out of the polls. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you're not, your name's not even on the polls to be like yeah the, that's kind of i don't like other, that you know <laughs> but what else and that's other. the thing it's like when you show a little courage look how the establishment gets scared mm. like imagine if a hundred a thousand of us did this and like demanded better living conditions demanded like that our tickets were being sold out of our libraries as opposed mm. to Ticketmaster. Mm. Cause like, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't seen a show forever because Ticketmaster fees are so high. Too expensive. Yeah. Too at expensive. my local venue. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, you you mentioned a library, I think. Yes. But you know, I was a big fan of Arthur. Having fun isn't hard. Yes. You have a library card. And I know that you have this plan to kind of expand the utility of a Toronto Public Library yes. card. Okay. Yeah, what is it's it? like my favorite policy. <laughs> Sorry. So um what I want to do is take all the departments, agencies, boards, and corporations at the city that deal with leisure, arts, culture, and entertainment and make you access those resources from your library card. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, the city already gives grants to a variety of culture groups. Mm -hmm. Get your ticket from your library card. You know what I mean? Yeah. Make it easy, like a Presto card where you just tap into the event. You can also like book arts therapy, which I'm seeing. That's I would so like dope. more people to like book recreation yeah. from their library cards. So like if you need a soccer ball nets, you use your library card, book it, pick it up here from, from your community center. Um, one thing that I've come to learn is like skateboarders. They have mobile ramps now. Mm. Book your community center during the winter and create a portable indoor skate ramp. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's really about supercharging the library card so that it becomes uh, an all access pass to different types of education and yeah. empowerment. That's awesome. Yes. I think it's such a good resource that we have, like the Toronto Public Library. And I think even expanding that, because, you know, maybe some people, they're not into reading, for example, mm -hmm. but they could still kind of utilize the library yeah. card for like other culture things. And that's the thing. It's like we have a hundred branches. Imagine if they like partnered with Long and McQuaid. Ooh, you know, you can rent out like microphones or something. Yeah. What? And it's at a hundred branches. You can rent out my musical instruments studio time mm -hmm. because the truth is like the library could be a library of things yeah. as opposed to just books like in i think the netherlands they have tools so you can rent tools build projects they have 3d printing like there's so many things that the library could do for you and you're already paying taxes for it yeah so this is where even workspaces co-working spaces mm -hmm. you should be able to tap in and get connected to co-working spaces based on your sector Oh, that'd be so cool. You could rent a little office. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Awesome. Like the city's already giving them grants to operate. Mm -hmm. Why are you unable to access these spaces? And it's because the data is not organized. Mm. There's tons of data out there, but the people who are organizing the data, like analysts, like myself, I do it for for-profit companies mm -hmm. who are trying to extract money out of you. Mm. If your city was using my talents to build public services so that you could be making money, that would be different mm -hmm. because your tax dollars are already there. It's now a matter of me increasing the value of your stock in mm -hmm. the city. Like reallocating what's already there. Yeah. Um, you gotta tell me what you're gonna do about this Eglinton LRT because that's like right there. Yeah, you know, it was supposed <laughs> to be done like three years ago. They started like I think 2011. Mm -hmm. I, first of all, why do you think it's taking so long? And if elected mayor, like how are you gonna speed up that process? 
So I think it took very long because there was no incentives or penalties for rapidly developing it. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the longer they do it, the more they get paid. Is that yes. how, uh, interesting? And okay. that's the thing. It's like with government contracts, there are certain loopholes where it's like, oh, if there's an act of God or like the economy mm. went into the tanker, like you can't hold us responsible. Mm. And this is why I'm really pushing for technology with construction mm. because you can have drones, embed sensors, you can have technology tracking the progress of a project. Mm. And there's no technology within Eglinton to say like, this work's getting done, that work's getting done. Mm. Instead, it's been a revolving door of contractors. Yeah. So it's like, it's hard to say like what is getting done because no one's tracking it. Mm. And like, as a policy measure, you can't improve what you don't measure. Mm. So there's a lot of incentive for projects to drag on in this city mm. because no one's going to hold you responsible for it. And the government's always going to pay to get it done. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's like, I want to raise income based fees income-based fees. Yes. What's that? What? So you would be charged fees based on your income as opposed to a one-size-fit-all approach to fees. Mm -hmm. Because $5,000 to someone who's making 50 is a lot. Mm -hmm. $5,000 to someone making a million is nothing. Yeah. So you have to make fees proportional to the owner of the mistake. Yes. And mm -hmm. that's really where it's like, yeah, we should be leveraging fees on these contractors until they deliver the project mm -hmm. because the incentive's there. You want to keep losing money because you're doing bad practices or do you just want to move on to the next project? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like my job to get in there, see what's happening. Cause like, to be honest, my, my father built the tunneling machine mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, he, he was skeptical when they first built it. Cause he's like, does Toronto have tunneling money? Y'all are always crying your part. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, it's someone has to go down there and actually take footage mm -hmm. because I think of it like this, when you have dashboard cameras of the police, there's a lot more people there to offer their criticism mm -hmm. and the feedback is a lot richer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, using technology, getting those videos on YouTube so someone can be like, okay, this is wrong. We got to <laughs> fix it because like, yeah, drones are amazing. Like mm. I love watching drone projects on YouTube because mm. I'm like, all I need is 5,000 guys and 24 hours and I can build a condo, mm. get it done. Okay. Okay. Yo, we're going to take a quick break okay. more with Chloe Brown on Burrow Sound. Stay tuned. Subscribe to Burrow Sound. Burrow Sound, we're back with Chloe Brown. Uh, Chloe, I did have a question. Um, so the mayor of Markham recently, like there, there's talks of like York region wanting to separate itself. No, they all want to amalgamate. They want to amalgamate, but so they'll still be considered Toronto or would they be like the region of York? The region of York. What's like, what's the rationale behind that? Do you think that could work? So it's like when Toronto brought together Scarborough, North York, downtown York, mm -hmm. and it's seen as a cost saving metric mm -hmm. where it's just like, yeah, since we're all delivering the same services, like policing, all that, like, let's just bring all of our service together. And that does not work mm -hmm. because look at us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's only certain regions of the city that get 
full service. Hmm. And when you look at a region like York region, where it's like Vaughn, Maple, um, you have Caledon, Markham, Keswick. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of small rural regions and big urban centers. Mm-hmm. The big urban centers will end up dominating the political clout. Mm-hmm. And this is where, yes, it works really well for Markham because of its size, but then it's going to work against King City mm. because of the size of it, the amount of people that work there, and it lessens their representation, but mm-hmm. it gives more to Markham. So they'll oh, be able okay. to expand their council and mm-hmm. get more resources. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, One of the other things you talk about in your campaign are these campuses of care. Mm. So what are those? Are they kind of like, like Zoe 101 PCA? Like (laughs) you go in, like everyone just there, like hanging out. What are campuses of care? So campuses of care are, are you familiar with the Ronald McDonald's houses? Uh, kind of. So where they, they build houses for families with sick children so mm-hmm. that they can live together closer to hospitals. Okay. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do with Campus of Care, where it's like, I want to build campuses for healthcare delivery. Okay. But I want to make them neighborhoods. Mm. So if you have a family member with dementia, instead of sending them to long-term care, we build a dementia village so that those seniors can still live in the community Mm -hmm. and live with their families Mm. with healthcare workers. Yeah. Because one of the biggest issues right now is Doug Ford is defunding healthcare. Yeah. So if we can create commercial spaces that are free or low cost for healthcare providers, then you can provide them work from home options. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's really important when you think about how healthcare is changing and also just providing people like care closer to home. Mm-hmm. CAMH cannot do all mental health care. Yeah. There's not enough psychiatric beds. Mm-hmm. But if we could have nurses traveling to mm-hmm. people's homes, making sure that they're the accountability buddy for making sure someone's taking their meds in the morning, mm-hmm. that they're going to their programs, that cuts down the cost of having to deliver health care. Mm-hmm. Also, potential like violent situations where someone's in a crisis and instead of calling the police, you have a nurse in your building Mm -hmm. that knows the patient that knows how to de-escalate it. Mm -hmm. And that's where changing zoning is really important because right now we have hospital row, which is university Avenue. Mm -hmm. No one ever questions. Why can't we have clinics closer to our neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. Why do we always have to come downtown for specialists, Mm -hmm. primary care? Like that can be decentralized to neighborhoods through campuses of care Mm -hmm. that act as learning and like delivery hubs for healthcare and medical advice. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I'm calling it campus of care because we need to be lifelong learners mm-hmm. of care delivery. Yeah. And like being 30, your parents are getting older. You have kids. There's so much like care burden mm-hmm. placed on individuals mm-hmm. that we need communities to come together because you can't care for someone in isolation. Yeah. It takes a toll on caregivers and that's mm-hmm. that's a different type of burnout that a lot of adults suffer in isolation with because I remember being in college and it's like my friend's dad had cancer. It weighed on him. Mm -hmm. He started drinking, but he never told us that was happening. And that's really why having a campus approach is really important because the more people around you, the more people there are to care for you when you can't care for yourself. Mm -hmm. And we need that, especially as young people, as I'm, I think about men particularly because they have a harder time building community outside of like 
romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Having a campus allows you to fail. You know what I mean? If you don't know, it's okay. You're here to learn. Taking that approach and implementing it in neighborhoods helps men care for themselves, each other, and it breaks down what care means for modern men. Mm-hmm. It The goal is essentially to break down stigma around mental health, elder care, child care, who delivers it, and how we work together as collaborative teams to mm-hmm. get that done. Mm-hmm. Because... Healthcare workers can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. Families need to come in and actually care for their loved ones. Like you can't continue to warehouse your loved ones and hope someone else takes care of them. And that's why the campus is so important because like I think of paramedic stations, fire stations, police stations, Mm -hmm. build apartments on top of them. Hmm. Make it easier for healthcare workers to be community champions and give them a four day work week. Mm -hmm. Naturally, as they educate us, we become more able to provide in the absence of them. Mm -hmm. So that's where it's like campus of care is really just building apartments with healthcare in them Mm -hmm. as opposed to leaving them on the main street. Now, I like that approach because um, so my mother's Turkish mm-hmm. and her father suffered uh, from like Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and in Turkish culture, you're supposed to like take care of your parents. But mm-hmm. I saw the residual effect it had not only on her, but everyone around him. Yeah. But at the same time, like you don't want to just uh, give that responsibility to a caretaker and like never see him again. Mm-hmm. It has to be like a kind of healthy balance of both yeah. where you have like an expert but at the end of the day, they would also like to see their loved ones mm-hmm. as well, especially in those last days. So yeah, I think that's a good approach. Well, my grandma had Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and she kept escaping the nursing home because she wanted Jamaican food. <laughs> like food is really important. Jamaican food is that good. Well, <laughs> and that's this is the thing. Like as a senior going through like Alzheimer's and dementia, you want things from your childhood. Mm. So for her, it was the food that she was eating that helped her reconnect. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's important to have family around during those times, because they're the ones that make that connection back. Yeah. And that's really why I'm focused on it, because baby boomers is a huge demographic. Yeah. If they are in the throes of mental illness and they become violent, there's going to be a lot of violent incidences with seniors and there's not going to be enough of us to respond to them because if we don't know what Alzheimer's looks like as opposed to like a substance-induced mania, Mm -hmm. how can we properly call the right emergency responder? Yeah. And that's where communities need to be a part of community safety as opposed to just law enforcement Mm. because I grew up with someone that was schizophrenic. Mm. I know if he starts acting a certain way, I go to his mom. I don't call the police. Yeah. And that is like an intervention that saves that person's life. Mm -hmm. So campus is also just like, we need to learn more healthcare, what mental illness as opposed to addiction looks like, Mm. because we're often misdiagnosing people or we're not like paying attention to the issue. And I say this particularly around addiction. I hate the language that's used around it because they're family members too. Mm. We can't warehouse them. We can't ship them off somewhere. We have to give them harm reduction. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I feel that. I think uh, a lot of people, like you were saying, how people self-medicate. Uh, I saw this thing by Dr. Andrew Huberman who said, like, especially people who have 
ADHD undiagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, there's like a dopamine imbalance, oftentimes they'll gravitate towards drugs like cocaine or mm -hmm. nicotine or caffeine just to like get back to normal yeah. in a sense, right? And I think a lot of people uh, go even further. Like, I don't think the solution is just giving everyone Adderall or whatever, mm -hmm. right? But I think being aware that uh, a lot of drug consumption can be uh, used as like self-medication can make people more aware and find alternatives to, yeah. to kind of like being balanced. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people don't think about the LCBO being a form of safe supply. Hmm. During the pandemic, they kept the LCBO open because there are people that are addicted to alcohol that need to be tapered off or given safe supply so that they can choose when to taper off. Mm -hmm. We need to have that same approach when it comes to other substances. And mm -hmm. this is why there needs to be a balance between drug testing mm -hmm. and actually providing safe supply mm -hmm. because whether or not the government provides it, people are going to get it. Yeah. They should be aware that like, it's not always going to be a hundred percent pure. Mm -hmm. So take the precautions to test it. And this is why like in our communities, especially communities of color, mm. I feel like drug testing is more important because you're not always going to take the rehab route immediately. Mm -hmm. Some prefer to go to God, pray. Like there's different ways that people pr approach rehabilitation. Yeah. Health, getting yeah. into exercise. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But it starts at knowing when the thing that you're using to self-medicate is bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel you. I'm going to kind of switch gears Absolutely. Uh, to the TTC. Uh, I grew up going on TTC all the time, like every single day, twice a day, three times a day sometimes. And I don't know what it is because I drive now, but sometimes mm -hmm. I'll take the TTC still. And it's just like it doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. The services are slow. They're like canceling all the cool bus routes. <laughs> so like what would you do differently? How would you approach the issue of the TTC? Uh, multi, multi steps. Yes. Like one thing I want to do is get parking to pay for transit. Hmm. A lot of our parking revenue just goes into policing services. It really? doesn't. Yeah. Like the green P. Like, like, like public city of Toronto parking. Like if I'm parking on the side, I use a green P app that's going to the police. Yeah. User fees, taxes, they go into the billion dollar police budget. What? And this is where. You're never paying for parking again. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hit me with a ticket, bro. Oh, no. Okay. Please. You, I did not, I did not suggest that. No, but no. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that people don't realize. Like, yeah. Do your parking spaces get better? Do they need maintenance? Not as much as like police services. So yeah, yeah a lot of your parking fees go into other services. Mm. I want them to just go into public transit and mobility mm. because ultimately people drive so that they can walk or go somewhere else. Make sure that the sidewalk is even Yeah, like <laughs> make sure that Dufferin is working. And this is why I want to bring all the transit planning groups together because right now TTC only focuses on like the vehicle routes. You have transportation services that does pedestrians and roads, and mm. that's a separate division at the city. Mm. Parks, forest and rec manages the ferry. Then you have transit expansion that, just deals with Metrolinks. Okay. There's four different divisions working on a transit problem, but they don't work together. 
Oh, it's not just one monolithic thing. No. I thought it was just like TGC. It was like everything. And no. then there was like Go Train. No, there, there's all these different divisions that work on different parts of your journey. Wow. And that's why it feels like such a broken experience because yeah. it's like TTC just focuses on TTC grounds. Mm-hmm. Anything outside of that, TTC is like, I don't care. So You're Presto is Presto Metrolinks? Yes. Okay. And that's not TTC? No. Okay. Metrolinx is a part of Go Transit and that's provincial. Okay. Yes. And Metrolinx is just the tra- transit planning agency. They don't manage the vehicles. That's Metrolinx. That's Go. Oh, okay. yes. Wow. Why is it so fragmented? Like, because that makes it easier to do third party contracts. Oh, okay. yes. Okay. So that's why I want to bring all the groups together and get our data to work better for us. And mm. that means imagine if you could like rate your route on TTC the way you did with Uber. Mm. And you're telling TTC like this part of my journey was a one out of five. This was a four out of five. That data could then go towards making a better complete route. Mm -hmm. We see how Uber is taking our data and created ride share programs. They're creating car rental delivery. Like they've used our data to create better products. Mm -hmm. Your data is not being used to create better routes. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to TTC, I want to essentially give them more power to plan full routes across the city by dividing TTC's operational group into four parts. Mm -hmm. One goes to Scarborough, one goes to Etobicoke, North York, and downtown. Mm -hmm. Right now, you have to go, you always have to go downtown to hear TTC meetings. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The last thing I would do is change the composition of the board. Because right now, it's four counselors and a bunch of public appointees that may also just be executives Mm -hmm. so if you're an executive you're not taking ttc you're driving in yeah so that's why the quality is going down but the rates are going up because the executives still need to be paid i don't like that um i did (laughs) i did receive notice that uh you do have to go soon so i just have this little quick rapid fire little thing you know okay Chloe Brown, what's your astrological sign? Sagittarius. Sag. Okay. Do you believe in God or a higher power? No. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. If you had to have one last meal, what would it be? Ooh, fried rice with lemongrass. It's so fragrant and just delicious. Pork fried rice. Love it. Okay. Who's your favorite artist? Ooh, right now I would say Flume. It's a, a Australian DJ. I just love like ambience. Okay, okay. If you weren't working in policy or politics, what would you be doing? I would be writing. I I love I love to write. I want to write like sci-fi and comedy. Oh, okay, okay. I feel like you can still do that. <laughs> uh, sweet food or salty food? Both. Both. Okay. W- which would you rather like? Salty. Salty. Okay. If you could have one superpower, it'd be. Oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> you know Mystique from X-Men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be a shapeshifter because she oh. like, takes their powers to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Do you have any tattoos? No. Okay. You, if you get if you become a mayor, are you going to get like a mayor? I'm so scared of needles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Are you more of a cat person or a dog person? Dog person. Proud owner of a shepherd. Oh, okay. Okay. What's your favorite part about living in Toronto? 
I said the uh, last T. I feel I, like I should redo that one. What's Toronto. your favorite part about living in Toronto? <laughs> um, I love that I can be up at any time of day or night and I can just find like a diversity of food. I okay. love our food scene, like momos, tacos, like mm. anything that can fit in the palm of my hand and I can just like leave. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us Absolutely. on Borough Sound today. It was an honor. Uh, you definitely got three votes out of us three right yeah. here for pulling up. <laughs> um, and we wish you the best of luck in the mayoral uh, race and we have high hopes for you. And when you're married, you don't put that cup right on your desk, you know? I'll be back. <laughs> okay, okay. I appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank you for tuning into the Burrow Sound. Make sure you comment, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Until next week. Subscribe to Burrow Sound.